Welcome to the Penny Drops Podcast, a podcast made by Penny Drops, a student-run nonprofit organization that champions financial literacy among Canadian youth with financial backing from BMO. Statistics show that Canadian students are inadequately prepared to face the financial challenges of the real world. Through conversations about our own experiences with personal finance, we will discuss how we dealt with these challenges and how young people can handle them properly. The Penny Drops podcast expresses personal experiences and opinions. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and share experiences with personal finance from students to students. This podcast does not provide financial advice or services. If you make investing or financial decisions after listening to this podcast, it is recommended that you consult a qualified professional first. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode five of the Penny Drops podcast. We're here today with Ann Arbor, a financial educator at the Credit Counseling Society, and we're really excited to have her on the show. We work with Anne and the Credit Counseling Society to deliver a tailored financial literacy program to university students across Canada. Our 18 chapters offer a range of lessons that cover all of the financial concepts that are applicable to a student's life at university. Today we're going to be asking her some questions about some of the financial education problems in the GTA and in Canada in general, um, and we're really excited to have her with us. So, Anne, can you please tell us about yourself and what you do at the Credit Counseling Society? For sure. Thank you for having me on. I am a financial educator, as you mentioned, with the Credit Counseling Society. So what that means is I get to share my long history in financial services with our communities. We operate from British Columbia through Ontario and serve the three territories as well. And from an educational point of view, we have a wide variety of programming that we do with community services, through public libraries, post-secondaries. We go into employers a lot to help them and they're people we do lunch and learn. So just sharing information about different aspects of personal finance. Very cool. Are you just working by yourself there or are you on a team of financial educators? Can you explain a little bit more about the Credit Counseling Society in general? For sure. So the Credit Counseling Society itself is a not-for-profit agency, registered charity, uh, again, operating over those five provinces and three territories. The main activity is free, confidential, no obligation, credit um, counseling and coaching. So helping people really understand their day-to-day money. We get a lot of questions about credit. We get a lot of questions about debt. We do have a debt management program that we can help people with. That's one of the options. We don't lend any money or do any of that. We give neutral advice and we can help point people in the right direction. Um, So as an educator, I'm one of a team of 12 and we operate across those provinces to add that extra layer of education to our clients, but also to the general public as well. Great. Now, before we get more into that, I want to go back in time to your time in universities, more specifically. Before you were helping anyone, how was your knowledge of financial literacy in general? In the Stone Ages, (laughs) it was before the internet. Um, I was very, very lucky. My knowledge was actually really good. Money was, my sister always teases, I was the girl with the cash box. You know, if there was ever... Um, in high school, a dance or a, something going on, I was the one arranging all the bills in the right order with the queen's head facing forward, you know. Um, money was just that language that came naturally to me, and it was an easy way for me to connect with people to help. 
So I was very lucky and I also had parents who made sure I knew what I was doing. Okay, I see. So it was really your parents that kind of got you into it in the very beginning and it was just pretty easy for you after that, especially in university. I'm sure your classes helped you a lot or was it just a thing you were naturally interested in? It was something I was always naturally interested in. So I studied economics and political science. I always knew I'd go on to do more another degree in business so i wanted to go really wide in my undergrad so i could take art history and do all kinds of other fun things um but yeah money was that piece that really came quite naturally to me so i was lucky in that respect and it was at a time when you know like atms were oh, so sad i'm gonna date myself <laughs> um you know atms were just sort of starting so I remember getting my green card, you know, the debit card in those days, and they had the option was fast cash 40, that you could press that one and immediately 40 bucks came out. So that just became my, my weekly allowance, because you could live on $40 that in those days. Um, but you know, remembering and, and budgeting myself that way, it was a really great way to do it. So obviously, things have changed a lot since then. But also, you've picked up a lot of skills and knowledge that you might not have had in university. So I'm curious if you could go back and give a piece of financial advice to your 20 year old self, what would it be? Yeah, I thought a lot about that one. And I think it's worrying more about impressing yourself than impressing others. At those ages, you know, you're so worried. You think everyone's looking at you and what you're wearing and what you're doing when in fact, people are really looking to you. You know, if you look like you have it all together, nobody cares whether it's a side part or a middle part or whatever's going on. But it's more important that you look after yourself and don't worry about being judged by others. And do you find that that kind of lesson gets learnt with age? Or do you think it is possible for 20-year-olds to really embody that and incorporate that into their financial decision-making? I hope that they do. I mean, social media is a tough, tough landscape. I do know some young 20s that really can embody that. But it's tough. There's no question about it. And it's certainly the wisdom that comes with with age and experience. Definitely. And exhaustion. Definitely. <laughs> Can you tell us about your career path from when you started in university in like the first 10 years to where you are now uh, with the Credit Counseling Society and what you learned throughout your career? Maybe there's like a one big lesson or something that just comes back all the time. The strongest lesson I learned, I learned very early on. So coming out of business school, coming out of MBA, I started working for one of the larger banks in commercial lending. And so I was lending to businesses and working with the owner operators and being part of that team. And very early, and so I'll take you through that path first. Um, and from there, I started getting involved in something called factoring, which is a different form of financing for small business or for businesses, small, big, whatever. Um, but I did I was fortunate enough to, out of that, um, have my own little factoring company with a partner to start up and then I fell into the education piece a bit by accident as a favor to a friend she needed um, a trainer in the Toronto area for uh, a project for a client she was working on and she didn't have anyone so she called me up and she said hey you you know money stuff right <laughs> yes I know money stuff she said you don't mind talking publicly no I'm, I'm okay with that um, so I did the training for them and I fell in love with it. One of the lessons I learned really, really early on um, was when I was training at the bank. And that was anybody can lease a Porsche, right? You don't need to be impressed by it because you don't know what goes on 
behind the scenes. We had a client come in who was a very well-known figure in the city, um, always in the paper, very well-dressed, beautiful homes, beautiful car, the whole package, right? All the things that as a 20-something-year-old, you'd look at that, that was success. My mentor threw the file on my desk and said, read this. And I opened it up and my jaw dropped. It was just debt. This guy was leveraged to the max. It was all smoke and mirrors. So his public persona of having it all together, privately, it was a mess. And I knew when he came in and started talking and asking things, the stress that that placed him under. So at the end of the day, anybody can lease a Porsche. It doesn't mean he owns it outright. It doesn't mean he can afford it, pay for it, or that he's not losing sleep at night. It just doesn't matter at the end of the day. You have to, but there will always be people with more than you, but guaranteed there will be people with less as well. And you just have to live and sleep at night. And so from looking at individuals' cases versus businesses' cases, and then in general, when you're dealing with education issues, I'm curious which ones strike you as being the most difficult to solve or the most difficult to take on. Like with individuals with debt, maybe it is something as simple as going through a credit counseling society sponsored program where you're able to develop healthier practices, stuff like that. Whereas obviously businesses, the the complexities can go go endlessly. So I'm just curious um, in general, like what have you found to be the most difficult problems to solve either for an individual or a business regarding financial difficulties? I think it's the emotional piece. So the common thread in my career has been people and their money. I, I love to make connections with people to help people and money has been, as I say, the, the language with which I've been able to do that. And then coming to realizing on the education side, it's, it's my chocolate and peanut butter. I get to help people really understand their money and bring my expertise to it. It's the emotional side of things. I saw the stress in that individual at the bank on that day and I can see the stress or the confusion or the shame, you know, for something that's really just a means of exchange. I'll give you $5, you give me a piece of pizza. There's shame and embarrassment and people don't want to appear stupid or that they don't have it all together, they don't understand. And if I can help them with that and just take some of that away and realize managing your money, it's a life skill. It's like learning how to brush your teeth, tie your shoes. We all need to manage it. We all need money in one form or another to live. Um, so it's just trying to take that emotion away from it and just let's be practical and look at the numbers and it isn't a comment on you or your choices in life. It's been very humbling working with the Credit Counseling Society in terms of the clients that come in. These are not people who have typically who have gotten into debt because that's a super fun thing to do. It's because of life. They've lost their job or they've been in a relationship that's broken up and they don't have any credit footprint themselves or someone's taking advantage of them financially. You know, someone's been ill, you know, over the last year, people have had to look after a lot of family members and not been able to necessarily work themselves. So life happens to all of us at one time or another. And it's just having the confidence and the ability to seek help and the humility to ask for help while you still have a lot of options. With that being said, why do you think that it's important for youth specifically to start learning about financial literacy at an early age? And do you see some differences when you encounter cases from people in their 20s or in their maybe in their, in their teenage years versus older individuals? 
Yeah, I think on the older end, I think that's where the a lot more of the emotion comes into it. I think that's where the shame comes into it. You know, by this age, I should have. And it's, again, comparing yourself to everybody else and seeing where other people are in their lives and those kinds of things. And in your 20s, you're more or less all on a, a level playing field, right? You're all students. And some of you, you know, some people have more help than others. Um, if there are student debts weighing on you, those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, you're all just starting out. I think it's really important to learn those skills. As you say, it's a life skill. You don't want to be dependent on your parents, if that's an option even, forever. This is about starting your life and you've got hopes and dreams and goals. So learning that extra little bit of skill to take that pressure away from you. If the last year or so has taught us anything, there's so much beyond our control. So learning to control kind of the things that are within your control and within your grasp to take those worries away. Why add one more thing to your plate? Financial stress is definitely a trigger on, um, on mental health. We've got a lot of stats showing us, especially at the post-secondary level, that finances are the second biggest stressor for students next to grades. Um, in some cases, it might be more than because the ability to continue a program um, to get on to that next level, do those kinds of things. So financial stress is, is real and big, and to the extent that you can control it and not let it control you is a, is a big piece to learn. So let's talk a little bit more about university students and the financial issues they may face, because as our listeners know, Penny Drops partners with the Credit Counseling Society to deliver a specialized financial literacy curriculum through all of our 18 university chapters, thanks largely to the support of BMO and the RBC Foundation. And so I'm curious, there's a lot that's touched upon in that curriculum, and it's kind of a crash course on all of the personal finance essentials that we think university students need to know. Um, but if you had to identify one most important problem for university students that is pertinent to finances and to financial stress, as you said, that is a big stressor, which specific financial problem would you say is most pertinent? I think it boils down to knowing your numbers. So, you know, we had a lot of fun helping to put the program together and working with the national team and seeing the evolution of Penny Drops from its starting point to, to today and seeing the thousands now of, of students you've been able to work with. And I think, you know, hearing it from a peer mentor makes it so much more meaningful um, than me, you know, as someone's mom walking in. <laughs> nagging them to do this. It's knowing your numbers and not being afraid. It's not advanced calculus, as fun as that is. You know, if you're going to make a mistake, make it now in your 20s with one or two or three, hopefully not zeros behind it. Um, learn, you're, you're going to learn by doing, so practice and take the plunge and reach out for help. So I, I think it's my long answer long, is knowing your numbers. So knowing what money you have at your disposable, at disposal, what costs you have. So really what is your true cost of living and, you know, as tempting as I would have said spring break somewhere was, can you really afford it or what can you do and, and living within your means in those, at those times? And then based off of that, developing a plan to figure out how, Absolutely. okay, gotcha. I figured that was where yeah. you were going next, but yeah. Thank you, yeah. And, and reaching out for help. I mean, your students, so your job is to be learning and this can be one of those things you can learn. You don't need to be the expert at it at all. There are lots of 
people and resources out there to help you be, including the Penny Drops program, which is great. And you, you have access to the decks and you have access to the resources to continue that learning and keep referencing back. Great. And with that, I want to ask you this one question to kind of encompass everything here. What's the number one or like best piece of personal financial advice you've ever gotten? Thank you. I was trying to think of the best piece of advice I've given on a regular basis, but no, it was given to me um, in various forms. And I've read it over and over and over again. And it is any variation of, as hokey as it sounds, um, pay yourself first. So I'm way at the other end of the, the age spectrum here. And I'll tell you the time value of money and the whole idea of compounding, oh, it works. It's very exciting. Um, you know, at the beginning, just not waiting till the end of the month and put away whatever you can. Um, it's putting that $10, $20, whatever it is, whatever you have right now available to you, bill yourself each month. It's part of your cost of living. And start to put money away to make sure you are building an emergency fund. And, you know, I'm very sorry for all everyone has gone through in the last year but it feels a bit vindicating because when people roll their eye used to roll their eyes when i said emergency fund you know what's the worst that could happen this this is the worst that could happen folks so you need an emergency fund you know starting to tuck money away into different pockets or jars or accounts or whatever it is to make sure you're looked after and that just will grow over time and as you earn more, just keeping in that habit of taking money aside. And it's so easy now. I mean, it used to be really literally taking change or paper and, and putting it in, into some place. Now you can automate that transfer. You can automate that behavior. You can automate so many of your financial transactions so that you can set it and forget it. When you say, uh, you know, uh, an emergency fund, something for you to help yourself mm -hmm. out in the future for in case something like this happens again, how much should someone save? So the rule of thumb, I think your first priority is an emergency fund with some savings goals around that. So if it's, you know, you're going to be moving and need some new furniture for your next place, or you need to get home after term and you need a plane ticket or whatever's going to go on. So it's making sure that you're setting those goals and breaking them down into little bite-sized pieces and tucking money here and there. It's in the same way that you cannot take a semester's work. I mean, maybe you can, but my brain doesn't work like this anymore, but you can't take a semester's worth of work and cram it into one or two nights before an exam. You just can't or not very well. You can't all of a sudden come up with a thousand dollars for the new laptop because you spilled water on it or whatever's going on. Slow and steady. It's a marathon, not a sprint. How many times have you heard that? But, you know, doing things little by little by little, it does start to build up. Um, in terms of how much, we recommend an emergency fund really is anywhere from three to six months of living expenses. Having those set aside, typically in case of a job loss. So for a student, honestly, you know, one to two months so that you know you can make your rent, keep the lights on until you can pivot or get to financial aid or aid office or get some help. But making sure that you're operating at least a couple of months in advance so that you've, you've got some peace of mind there in case there's something completely we haven't even foreseen yet. 
has popped up. So you're definitely stressing the values of being prepared for situations like this that we really can't be prepared for no matter how much we try. Um, even if even if we are financially prepared, obviously there's emotional things and there's other things that, of course, mm-hmm. like you can't really be fully ready for. Um, I'm curious in general, is the lack of preparedness that you think is the most important problem in the financial landscape in Canada? Or do you think it uh, pertains more to debt? Or what do you think is the biggest, most acute problem problem in Canada right now? Credit is still, it's so interesting for me to talk to different groups because I can walk into a certain group and say, okay, when you got your first job at 16 lifeguarding, what was the thing you saved up for? You know, be a bike, a stereo, a leather jacket, whatever. And then I can walk into a different demographic and say, what was the first thing you saved up for? And I get looked at like I am from another planet. It's like, okay, sorry. I know I used the four letter word save or, you know, what was, when you got your first credit card, what's the first thing you bought? Oh, a bike, a leather jacket, a stereo. It's credit. We have come to, for a relatively newish concept in the financial landscape, we love it. And people have convinced themselves because interest rates are low and I'm using air quotes, sure for a mortgage, but credit card rates are credit card rates. They're 20% could be 25% if you're missing a payment. That's major, major money. Um, So I think it's not understanding how credit truly works and it is not your money. It is someone else's money and you have to pay that back. And we have um, this great little, if I was with you in person, this great little handout, it's a spinner tool and it runs you through it's a loan calculator so you know if you're just making your minimum payment on that card you only applied for because they gave you a frisbee um how long it would take you so do you guys want to guess let's say a five thousand dollar balance on your credit card if you just make the minimum payment do you even know what the minimum payment on your card is on my current card yeah so it would be two percent or three percent of the balance but these days the companies are only even asking for 10 bucks. But let's say it's $100 on 5,000, so 2%. Any clue how long it would take to pay back five grand, $100 at a time? A few years. Yeah, 65 years. Oh, okay, a lot more than I thought. Yeah, and that's just that 5,000, right? So that was that reading week trip and some other stuff that's long gone, you know in the 24 packs, those kinds of, you know, like the stuff, do you want to be paying for those things for the next 65 years? So it's really, I, it can all boil down all the motherhood statements is not understanding how credit works and, and how having a plan for how you're going to pay it back. And that's really stressful. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say to the people who find it hard for them to make enough money to just sustain their living to the point where they don't even have enough to save? You you mentioned the concept of pay yourself first, but what if someone can't do that because all their money is going towards rent, food, bills, and stuff like that? Yeah, and that's real. And I acknowledge that, especially um, in cities like Montreal and Toronto and Vancouver and, you know, all over. Um, that's definitely a real thing, university student or not reaching out for help to figure out what options are. Because if it's a debt issue that's taking the extra funds, there are solutions there. There are relief programs that can help. If it comes to OSAP, you know, by the time you graduate, let's say, you know, you graduate in the middle of COVID and jobs aren't happening the way they were supposed to. Um, There are relief uh, programs you can apply for. 
Um, you want to work not for profit instead of a big corporate job. There are, but so you can't make your student loan payments. Again, there are um, some relief programs you can apply for. So reaching out for help to an agency like ours, again, which is a not for profit where it's free and it's confidential, going to financial aid office on campus and seeing what programs are available, just asking for help. Nobody has to go through this alone. And sometimes it's easier for somebody who isn't as emotionally involved to put fresh eyes on the budget and figure out where the resources are for some rent help, for some um, you know, food bank assistance, those kinds of things. And then it comes down to really taking a close look at what are you actually spending on. You know, there are little ghosts in all of our worlds in terms of subscriptions and all those things that don't feel like very much. They're a dollar here, a dollar there. Um, but that dollar could be going to savings. So having a really, and it's hard, you know, you need to live a bit as well and you can't stretch things so tight. You have to have a little bit of fun money. Um, but again, whether that's a dollar or a hundred dollars, you know, I can get an ice cream cone for a dollar, so I'm good. But that's it's definitely a pressure for people. So it's taking a look and, and getting some help and getting some fresh eyes on it. So this will be our last question. You've given us some amazing tidbits of information and different themes to think about. So I don't even want to boil it down to one thing. But if you could pick one piece of knowledge for every Canadian to know and have, what would it be? I think I'll go back to that statement that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's just step by step everyone will all get there. We get really hung up on financial literacy, which is definitely a thing, but there's a difference between financial literacy and financial wellness. Mm -hmm. um, financial literacy being that knowledge of what to do and how to do it with your money, and then financial wellness, which is the piece of actually having done mm -hmm. it and making those good decisions and being in a good spot. So there can definitely be a disconnect. In general, do you feel that financially literate people tend to be more financially well off further down the line? Like, have you observed that connection through your years of experience in financial services and in counseling and all of that? I have, but, and I, and, and I can't speak on the counseling side because I haven't done that, but okay. in, in my history of it, yeah, absolutely. I think, but there's a disconnect. A lot of people, um, there's some studies actually that came out in the last couple of years where people have overestimated their financial literacy and it is reflected in their financial. If we look at average household debt in Canada and average credit loads, yep. you can be as smart as you want, but if you're not practicing it. Good to know. That's great advice. I just want to say one thing about that. I was overestimating my financial literacy knowledge in general, it, it, especially in the early parts of my uh, university life or, you know, the first year. And, uh, yeah, that's really good advice because uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge that difference. I just wanted to put it out there that I saw it in my own like situation. And it's very true that the that just knowing thinking that, you know, something is not the same as actually doing it or or as actually putting something into practice. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And so do you think the only way to ensure that you actually know it then is to practice it and try it out with with different people and in different circumstances or? I do. Yeah. I do think so. Um, there are all, so many ways to do it. Uh, you know, we get people, oh, oh I hate like, budget. I don't even love the word budgeting. It's not like a super sexy word, but the fact that planning, 
um, having your spending plan. It's not really exciting stuff. So just, but once it's in place and you can move on to other things, but it's just finding the right system for you. So what works for you, Trevor, is not going to be what works for you, Const. It's not going to be what works for Costa. It's not going to be what works for me. Um, it's everybody finding their own system and there's so many options out there now. So practice and try it until you, until you get the right way. And it, that will change through your life too. Great. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for all of your answers. Those were really great. And we really appreciated having you on the Penny Drops podcast. As a reminder, Penny Drops works with Anne's organization, the Credit Counseling Society, to deliver the financial literacy curriculum to university students across Canada. If you're interested in learning more, please look us up on pennydrops.org and you can find specific information on the partnership with CCS. Um, Anne, thank you very much for joining us and I hope that you have a great day. Thank you for having me. It's been great. You too.